hey there. Welcome to Just Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show was hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter from multiple decades who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. Happy early 4th of July, and this is a pretty big week for new streaming content, including No Sudden Move, a new heist movie from Steven Soderbergh in theaters as well as on HBO Max. And over on Netflix, you'll find the first in a new horror trilogy, Fear Street Part 1, 1994. And the gleefully profane alternate animated history, America the Motion Picture. In theaters, you'll find The Forever Purge, the fifth and supposedly final film in that franchise, and Zola, a flashy new indie flick from A24 based on a viral Twitter thread. Speaking of unorthodox source material, we rounded up a few good films that also got their start from non-traditional places. Finally, we will get into some of the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies we talk about in the show notes, along with contact info if you want to sound off in our inbox or Twitter DMs. Let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. We have got Jared McNetz from the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa. Whoa. And from the Sioux City Journal, the editor of the Sioux City Journal and longtime, multiple decade entertainment reporter, Bruce Miller. Are you an award winner? You bet. Come on. After 40 years, there's got to be one in there, right? I didn't want to overgild the lily on that one. I didn't want to say award winner. You'd be gilding old people like that. That's a good thing. We are here to talk movies, new movies, recommend other movies, and uh, and then talk about some movie news. So first up, yeah, we've got all the a bunch of new releases. Maybe the biggest one last week was F9. Yep, which I went and saw. I saw that on uh, Sunday. And what'd you think? I so I have not seen every single one of the Fast and Furious movies, but I. I'm one of those people that will read like the synopsis on a lot of stuff. Um, I didn't feel lost at all, even though I haven't caught all of them. And I mostly just enjoyed, you know, watching a lot of ridiculous scene after ridiculous scene of like either like car stunts or just like insane, like macho back and forth between like Vin Diesel and John Cena, who's supposed to be his brother, which is just kind of ridiculous to think that they're supposed to be brothers somehow. I, I enjoyed it. It's not, you know, uh, critical darling and it's not going to win any awards uh, but it's already made a boatload of cash and i understand why because it's a total uh crowd pleaser in fact one of my uh former colleagues who uh works with you now bruce uh shane was saying when he was there yesterday there was like a dad and a son watching the movie and like they were like roughhousing in the line to buy tickets to see the movie and then when they were in the theater they were just like like punching each other in the leg and stuff like that so like that's the kind of movie experience you get when you go to see f9 it's right there it's in your face right i went with a friend who had never seen the movies and was really lost with the characters um and you see somebody like helen mirren who kind of drops in and you go what's she doing here and if you don't know the history you don't know why she's there it's really for the faithful and they know that there are enough faithful that they'll they'll still make the money. 
Gonna let it wash over you. <laughs> and it tees it up for a sequel easily. Well, I think they've already announced that they're up to, I mean, I think they're contractually going to be, yeah, there's yeah a ton more. And that isn't even including, I guess, the random spinoffs, even though I think Hobbs and Shaw was kind of panned critically. But I mean, again, it made a boatload of money. So I don't know if I'm stepping on anybody's upcoming, like before we get to the news section, but I think it was just announced that they're like Charlize Theron's character is going to get a spinoff. Well, she she doesn't do much in this anyway, so it's time she works. And she kind of gets that snarl where she goes, yeah, and I got some things to do, too. You know, where you think, oh, something's coming. The underrated Charlize Theron movie to go see, I think, is Atomic Blonde. If you're looking oh, yeah. for Charlize Theron in, in an over-the-top, insane action movie, I mean, it's worth it alone for the... that you know, 10 minute tracking shot going down the stairs of the fight scene, like about three quarters of the way through. That's one of the best fight scenes I've seen in a movie in a really long time. And it's like perfectly in the mold of like the alley fight scene from like they live or even going back way further to like the fight scene from the quiet man, just this long preposterous fight that, but like, I appreciate that one so much. Cause even compared to like John Wick or some, which I love or fight scenes and some other stuff, you feel like the damage is, is that like fight scene progressive to like the end. They're barely even able to hit each other. Cause they're both so worn out and everything. And like, you don't see that even in a lot of good action movies. You only see that in the theater at fast nine. right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd like to know who gives her career advice though. Really, how does she choose some of this stuff? Atomic Bond was a good choice, and it seems like linking up with like the Fast and Furious stuff was a good choice. But then, what was like the monster hunter type thing or whatever with like so the old guard, right? Like that one seemed like a little bit of a miss, maybe versus some of the other action stuff that she's been in, which were like pretty big hits. Yeah, I think old guard seems like it was. I got like I don't know three quarters of the way through that before kind of fading on it, which. A lot of those Netflix action movies, I kind of do. That's sort of in its own new genre of the Netflix action movie, where it is designed to hit all of these quadrants. They're going to cast a lot of people from different ethnic backgrounds and nationalities so it can play in a lot of different places. I mean, it, it's fine. I mean, I'm thinking like Spencer Confidential. What was the, uh, the big Bruckheimer Bay movie? That doesn't limit it. Those are the kind of ones that like, I know like my dad will mention that he's watching like when I talk to him and then he'll like completely forget like the name of it and like not remember any of the details like afterward because they just like come and go that quickly. That's where I'm at with this one. I can't remember any of the plot points other than I think there were like what people had to be dead and then they became government assassins after they like had their deaths faked or something. And then I just remember a bunch of helicopter shots and car chases and that's about a lot of really fast editing okay so you saw fast nine i just saw black widow bruce uh as a uh, the the write-up in uh indiewire said that uh black widow will uh uh force men to scream as it puts them in their place was that the case when you saw black widow did you feel put in your place i was surprised how it wasn't like most um Avengers films. It was more like a spy thriller. Um, there was even a little girl with the uh, tattoo, what's it called? The Dragon tattoo? That one. A little of that and Florence Pugh steals the show. She is just incredible as the sister. And she 
they kind of have different tracks and they pull together. And um, you can see where she could be a huge, huge Avenger in the future. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was far more entertaining than a lot of those kind of, okay, now we're gonna have this and then we have that and I've gotta have that. It went a little different direction with all of its stuff. If there's a long part in the middle that could be cut, but- Talking. Um, <laughs> right? Yep. Nap time. And um, it's a nice kind of hat tip for uh, Scarlett Johansson, who's kind of been lurking in the in the shadows in most of those ones, where you go, "Who is she?" If you, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a Marvel comic person, so when you see like the all the Avengers assemble and they're all kind of standing there, and you go, "Well, what's that one? Who is she?" And she just did a bunch of like ninja moves, and that's about it. And you never knew what her story was. Well, this gives you all that story that you're looking for. And it makes you appreciate her a little bit more and then understand the journey that she had with um, Captain America and the guy that um, Jeremy Renner plays. Hawkeye. There you go, Hawkeye. So yeah, so there's enough there to chew on. And you don't have to feel like if you didn't watch all of them, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of them digging into a lot of backstory um, for some of these characters and going back and doing prequels in, cause I mean, they, they have a ton of stories. I, I have been reading, uh, over the past week or so. I mean, it's a massive book, but, um, it is Nick Fury versus shield. It's a series of, uh, comics that came out in the late eighties that ended up getting adapted or I think Marvel, plucked liberally from its plot to make uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. And there's just, with, with S.H.I.E.L.D., with Black Widow, with all of the, the Black Ops spy stuff, they have dozens and dozens of these stories that they could turn into one-off films that just flesh out these characters and add a lot of color to the, the Marvel Universe as a whole. And, and, and like you said, Bruce, I mean, like, these are things where you don't necessarily need to go in knowing, you know, all of the, the Asgardian, you know, mythology to, to understand, you know, people, it's daunting. If you didn't start at the beginning, I'm going to be lost. And it's nice to know there are kind of entry level points that you can hit in and, and not have to worry about oh, Ant-Man. Oh, what's Ant-Man doing? You know, would you put it I mean, and this is going to, I guess your mileage may vary on this comparison, but Rogue One, the way that Rogue One was kind of a prequel to Star Wars Episode Four. Better than that. Better than okay. that. It tries really hard to be a James Bondish kind of thing. There's a very Spielberg thread through it where it looks kind of like if Steven Spielberg had done a Marvel film, it might have looked like this. That sounds great. Yeah, it's a little more... Um, marketable, I think. And really, you go Black Widow, oh, no, we're not seeing that. That's not. But I, I, I was pleasantly surprised. Excellent. And that is coming out next weekend. And that'll be in theaters and on Disney Premium. Which is going to be an interesting task. You ready for Boss Baby 2? Even bossier, baby. Well, now it's a little girl that gets to be a Boss Baby. And Amy Sedaris plays this little girl and she's really good. She's really good, but it's it's so convoluted. Okay, boss baby, Alex, Bal uh, Alec Baldwin had a brother 
older brother, okay? Now, imagine this, they've grown up and the older brother has two kids and he's a stay-at-home dad and his two kids are daughters. And through a, a whole bunch of jumbled things, the uh, dad becomes a baby again and so does the uncle. So they're in with this and they're interacting with the daughters who are involved with a teacher who may or may not be the bad guy of the world and wants world domination. So it's a lot, there's a lot there. And I think a lot of the laughs are not good for little kids because they won't understand what's going on. There are some fun lines that match up with, um, you know, if you know pop culture, an adult could get a laugh out of it. But there's a lot to unpack on that one. The whole the, the whole world of that boss baby thing has always been very like bizarre and a little bit troubling to me. That like basically there's a whole like alternate world of like babies who are like doing like work like he's like a management person or whatever but then that means there's probably also babies that are like working in like a sawmill or something and wherever it is that like Alec Baldwin's boss baby comes from <laughs> it, they're doing that already don't you know don't you have babies at your office working oh yeah they're running uh, copies right now well speaking of animated movies you saw America I saw America, the motion picture, which just came out on Netflix. That looks dreadful. I thought it was great. I have no problems with this movie. It is, it is for a very specific person. So it's basically an alternate reality telling of the history of America that has no basis in any kind of historical anything. It's, it's absolutely insane. It's, this is a, a hard R as far as language, as far as there's no nudity, but there is a lot of kind of crazy, almost nudity sex scenes. I mean, this is not at all for kids. It's from uh, Lord and Miller, guys who did Lego Movie and 21 Jump Street. They probably just put their name on it. They're the producers. And uh, it's directed by a guy named Matt Thompson, who I think this is like his first feature directing but he he got his start doing a bunch of adult animation stuff for adult swim like c lab uh ended up c lab 2021 if anybody remembers that show uh which was very good and then also archer and if if you like archer you will you will like this this is kind of archer with with the brakes completely taken off it's got a really great voice cast with Channing Tatum as George Washington, which I, I don't know if like just saying that kind of gives you a, a taste of it, of where, you know, things are going. Uh, Olivia Munn is Thomas Edison to illustrate the gender blind casting. It's a female version of Edison just to just illustrate how crazy the train goes off the tracks as far as history is concerned. And then we also get uh Andy Samberg is Benedict Arnold, apparently. Yep. The the one who steals the show is former SNL favorite Bobby Moynihan as Paul Revere. And yeah, it's it's really great. I mean, the jokes move right along. It feels like it's an entire season of a thing condensed down. 
Like, I mean, if, if this was stretched out to be a show, which it might have been pitched as originally, I don't know. It um, one of the screenwriters for it is David Callaham, who worked on Mortal Kombat. He worked on Wonder Woman '84. Uh, he got tapped to, to do the screenplay for the next uh, Spider Verse movie, and he's also involved with the uh, Shang Chi movie uh, that's coming out. One I'm uh, seeing, I think probably tonight actually, that I'm very excited about is uh, the Forever Purge uh, is out now, um, which is the uh, fifth, and they're saying final uh, movie in the Purge franchise. We'll see if they hold to that or not because. Uh, uh, Friday the 13th 4 was supposed to be the final chapter of the Friday the 13th movies and then they made like eight more um, but the Purge is like one of my favorite franchises running in horror otherwise the only franchise I like more maybe is the Mission Impossible franchise and, and maybe John Wick too but it's right up there the Purge franchise because it just has such a great concept to it like one night a year, all crime is legal. I don't know how you can beat that as a concept for a movie, like a short pitch for a movie. It's hard to do better than that. And then also I'm always a sucker for really good uh, like masks in a horror movie. And uh, the Purge franchise is chock-a-block with uh, great masks. Like the mask from the second one that just is like a plain white mask that has God written on it in like marker one of my favorite masks uh, in any horror movie ever. Um, there's always good scares in those movies. And then I think I was talking to Chris about this before that like in all seriousness, the, the, the purge movies to me are some of the only interesting um, like political movies, because obviously like political movies have been done to death uh, in recent years, but it's different with the purge movies because they're essentially B movies that are getting into like, class politics, which makes them more like, I don't know, like Robocop or Repo Man than like the front runner or some like political movie like that. And I think it's fascinating whenever you have B movies doing like political stuff like that. So I, I love the Purge movies and I'm looking forward to watching the uh, Forever Purge and then uh, reporting back next time. I had a friend who did see it and he was mortified by it. He thought it was uh, the, the politics of it. So let me know what that's like. If it's, you know, too far one way or another. But that's that's always been one of the things with genre movies tackling heavier, you know, meatier, I guess, ethical and, you know, quandaries, I guess, is that they're only built to do it in in really broad ways. Sometimes that works really well and other times it doesn't. You know, like if you go and watch Dawn of the Dead, it's pretty easy to pick up that that is anti-consumerism or uh, they live same thing. But I don't know if anyone's politics were ever explicitly changed by having seen those films. But it's but it's fun to to watch these uh, relatively subversive ideas get shoved into a uh, a package that it, that is designed to to be consumed on on a mass level like this. Look at how well they'll get out there. That was ideal. And it'd be nice to see more go along that track when they're trying to make these kind of double hits. You know, they're not going to try and do that to be that smart and that um, that kind of fun, if you will. Um, some are just going for the hit and run. Yeah, it's and I mean, it's get out is kind of the 
peak, at least in you know the past 20 years, I think, of really sliding interesting cultural commentary into that genre of of horror. Um, and I mean, us, his follow-up, Jordan Peele's follow-up was, I thought, a little bit more oblique in in what it was doing, but was just as good in in a lot of ways. I mean, I would love to see more get outs and or watch, you know, something like the the purge films, uh, tighten it, tighten it up a little bit, but doesn't really seem like that's what they're going for. Anything coming out this weekend that's uh it's got you tweaked, Bruce? Well, I'm looking, but I yeah, I since I've seen a lot, I don't need to go to everything. Um so I, I I have things that I've been watching on um, coming up that'll be on TV on a streaming service. Um, there's a thing called the White Lotus. It's coming on HBO. It's a six-part series about a hotel in Hawaii. And it's real fascinating how it twists and turns. Mike White, does that name ring a bell? He's done a lot of- kind Freaks of- and Geeks, Enlightenment, um, yeah. And it's fascinating. These people all go to this very expensive, posh uh, resort in Hawaii, and they all have different, nobody seems happy, but everybody has an agenda or some kind of a, um, a desire to seek come from this. And it is like eating candy. You sit there and you think, I got to watch another one. I got to see another one. I got to see another one. And I finally finished it last night. And I thought, yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. So that's, I spent time with that. And then I'm going to be spending time with Schmigadoon, which is the spoof of movie musicals. And that's coming on Apple TV. And um, that's about a couple, uh, Cec- Cecily Strong and um, um, from Key and Peele. Um, Michael Keegan Key, thank you so much. Um, are a couple who are out kind of, you know, camping, whatever. And they wander into this town where everybody is a musical singing and dancing kind of person. And you think, who are these nuts? But it's like they they hit upon Music Man, Oklahoma, uh, Brigadoon, one of those towns, and they have to fall in love in order to get out of the town. And it's, it seems fascinating. It seems cute. They have a lot of uh, Easter eggs that they drop about musicals. So if you're into that stuff, you know, it could be a real a real show. Yeah. It feels like that is very much up your specific alley, Bruce. Very niche. It's very niche, but you know, uh, I don't think they see it as anything more than one and done. Well, which is good for something like that, where you throw it out there. And if, if you got a lot more people saluting it, then, than you expected, you can come back to that. Well, and if not, everybody just kind of moves right along. That sounds interesting. They think it gave a lot of theater people work during a time when they didn't have any work. And there are so many streaming services now. I think if you're a creator and you've got a great idea, you will get it made because I don't know how you could get a turn down. I mean, you might not get the money that you think you need for it, but um, you would definitely get a, a shot at somebody making your work if it's original enough. Did you get a screener for Zola, Bruce? You know, I did, and I did not see it yet. So I'm sorry I can't talk to you about it. Zola, uh, it's an, a new one from A24. It's based on a 148-tweet 
Twitter thread that went hyper viral um, about uh, road trip strippers craziness. Riley Creel. Yep. Who is really underrated. I feel like, I mean, she is fantastic from her work in, was it American Honey? She was really good. And yeah, she's excellent. This seems like it has some of the same vibes as American Honey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and she was in Under the Silver Lake, which is another really underrated, uh, great film. People should go. Anyway, so neither of us, none of us, none of us have seen Zola. It is in theaters. It's not streaming yet. I don't know if it will, but it's got that kind of neon. Well, I guess I shouldn't say neon. It's got a neon look, but not neon the production company. It's from A24. So you've got that indie stamp of approval. Um, yeah. Jared, did you see No Sudden Move yet? Uh, no, I haven't because I don't have uh, HBO Max. So I have not seen No Sudden Move yet. But uh, I'm going to find a way to watch it because I will watch all things uh, Steven Soderbergh related. Did you watch that yet, Bruce? Not yet. No. Did you see it? I watched it. I watched it yesterday morning. Um, as soon as it, you know, kind of hit HBO Max. It's the new Steven Soderbergh, uh, and it's a kind of a, a a heist movie from the '60s, set in the '60s with a pretty stellar cast: Don Cheadle, Benicio del Toro, ton of other folks. Lots of character actors who folks will recognize from other things. Bill Duke. Yep. Oh, Bill Duke is fantastic in it. He's always one of my favorites when he shows up in anything anymore. Oh, yeah. He's great in it. I haven't done a whole lot of research on it yet, but it looks like it was another one of the Soderbergh movies that was shot on an iPhone. Oh. Which he did. I think the first movie he shot on an iPhone was Unsane, like a psychological horror thing. And like when I say shot on an iPhone, I mean, he's got all these crazy lenses and there's very specific proprietary software that comes in so they can, you know, adjust focus and things like that. And it's, it's really fascinating what he can get out of an iPhone to make this thing work. But yeah, when you're watching it, it's, it's still really hard for me, at least to not, you know, see how the whole thing is with the same wide angle lens, how everything along the edges kind of just, you know, kind of scoots out of focus. And it's the first one that he's done with an iPhone where I feel like it could have benefited from being shot with an actual camera crew with a full team of, of folks doing that. It is somewhere in between, I would say there's a lot of out of sight in that it's a heist that kind of goes wrong. And also with Don Cheadle being involved. And then there's unexpected subplot with the auto industry. And so there's this kind of edge. What is it? Um, like self-dealing and things like that. So it's got this kind of element of the insider and Aaron Brockovich kind of thrown in as well. I don't know. I still think that the best movie that he's done on the iPhone with this approach has been or was High Flying Bird on Netflix, which kind of. I feel like came out, everyone is a Soderbergh nerd saw it and then quickly forgot about it and really, really good. A movie about a, uh, an MBA agent signing college kids and, and whatnot. So yeah, no sudden move. Definitely scoop that up if, you, if you've got HBO Max. One thing I appreciate about uh, Steven Soderbergh so much is that um, 
like at this point, the way he works kind of reminds me of this um, thing called um, oblique strategies that the musician Brian Eno was known for like uh, putting together where basically it's like this box of cards that'll have like suggestions or like, you know, aphorisms or like dilemmas that you're forced to work around that you'll just draw out of a box. And like the way Steven Stoderberg makes movies now, especially since he's come back from his retirement, remind me of that where it just seems like he's drawing like a dilemma from a box like or an impediment to like working in some way and then like going from there and like I kind of respect the hell out of him for like still tinkering this much even though he's you know 30 years or whatever into his career so it's like doing improv where you say throw me an occupation okay it almost is yeah do you know about oblique strategies Bruce no so it's I mean, exactly like, like Jared said, it's, you know, these kind of prompts, but they're, I mean, oblique is really the perfect word to describe it where let, let's say you're at a creative impasse yeah, and you just kind of randomly pull a card out. So you're sort of casting a, like the casting the itching for creativity and, and you get a card that says, ask your body. And you're like, well, I, I don't know, but then it, it, you know, triggers all of this, you know, very very vague stuff that's around that. And so it's going to pull, you know, that idea out. or another card might be gardening, not architecture. And you're like, how do I apply this? And in adding all of this kind of chaotic input in, you then are forced to examine things from a different angle. And I, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's, that's a great, great uh, mention that, that Jared's got with the oblique strategies, as far as Soderbergh. I would be really interested to know what what he would think of that. The other big one that I don't think we're going to really talk about too much at all because I haven't seen it yet, and I don't think you guys have seen it is uh, the Tomorrow War, the new sci-fi thing on Amazon. There comes a point where you just have to say, "That's TV." Sorry, kids, that's TV. It shouldn't be given the kind of attention that comes with just because you're on a, a service. It's a it's a TV show. It's Chris Pratt as a, what, some kind of space marine? Sort of, yeah. Or, or something? Yeah, I feel like that's we've seen that movie already, so I'm, I'm good on that. I don't know if anybody saw super buff J.K. Simmons uh, floating around. If you're looking for, like, just, like, jacked grandpa, this is, this is the movie that J.K. Simmons got really jacked for. The biggest thing that I would say I'm excited to see in this is uh, there's an actor named Sam Richardson who was very involved with, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson, which was a sketch show or is a sketch show on Netflix. And also the two season wonder from Comedy Central called Detroiters. And yeah, Sam Richardson is fantastic and seems really well cast as comic relief here. And I'm very happy that that he is getting getting this break even even if the overall movie ends up being a a, a dud the other big one uh is the 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 first of a trilogy of horror films that's coming out on netflix called fear street this first one that came out is titled 1994 there's another one that'll be out next week that is from the 70s and then there's one before that from like the 1600s, all witchcraft type things that'll be the week after that. So we've got three straight weeks starting this weekend of horror in the Fear Street. And Fear Street, for anybody who is not of a certain age, was a series of books by R.L. Stein, uh, best known for Goosebumps. And who didn't read Goosebumps books when you were 
you know, in fourth, fifth grade. Um, these were the series that he wrote uh, of horror books for older kids. So it gets a little bit more explicit. It gets a little bit more, um, you know, like there, there are actual demons and possessions and murders and crazy teenage stuff. So this is a anthology series of films based on that. And I watched the first one this morning and it's good. I don't quite know who it's for. It's a hard R, I would say, with the violence and the profanity. Uh, there's no nudity, but it is certainly a hard R. And but there's there's no adults in it. This is for middle schoolers. Kind of, but it's I think at least when I was in sixth grade, if my mom came in and saw me watching this movie, she would turn it off and be very upset with me. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's definitely, I don't know quite, but it, because it's set in 94, it absolutely took me back to, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. All of the, the music cues are pretty right on with, you know, FM radio grunge and, R&B type things. I mean, it certainly, it feels very accurate in its way, but as a, it's the kind of series where each individual film feels like it would have been stretched out into an entire series by Ryan Murphy and for the American Horror Story and stretched out to that length, it would be terrible in the same way that a lot of those American Horror Story series fall apart just because of the, the marathon that it's making you run. Whereas this movie, and I presume the next two that are coming out, moves right along and is very enjoyable. I would say, yeah, once the, once the kids are in bed, flip this on. Makes for an interesting double feature maybe with America, the motion picture. Yeah. So that's, those are the new releases. We, we knew it was going to be a big week. So now we can do staff picks. Because of Zola being based on a Twitter thread, we were going to pitch movies that folks can watch that are also based on kind of non-traditional adaptations. I, I think I'm out. Right? Because so much of this stuff, I mean, it comes from somebody's two words they throw together and they suddenly have a series. Miami Vice, remember that? It was like MTV Cops. Um, and okay, I get it. But some of the, the places where they look, you know, was it my kid's diary and I was inspired to do a film from that? Was it? So it's hard to think of what would be a good one that came from an odd source. So I'm at, I'm at bay on this one. I'm not sure I, I can weigh in. I'll, uh, I'll do one of the older ones then. And uh, one of my, uh, still one of my favorite movies that I watched uh, dozens of times as a kid and will still occasionally watch now. Um, and that is the 1985 movie Clue, uh, which is based on the board game. Um, I love that movie so much. The cast is like still one of the funniest like casts of uh, comic actors you could get with Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, Eileen Brennan, Leslie Ann Warren. Um, and uh, John Landis uh, at one point worked on the, the story for it. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this have seen Clue, but if you haven't, 
Um, it's basically premised on the board game where these people get together at like a, a secluded uh, mansion in New England. Uh, somebody dies and then they have to try to figure out uh, who it was that uh, killed the uh, person who died. And then uh, hilarity ensues with like three different endings along the way. Um, so I think, and that's like, honestly probably one of the, I'm, I'm sure there was some like super non-traditional ones before that, but that was like one of the earlier ones I could think of. And it's one of my favorites anyway. So it felt like the most logical pick uh, for something from a little bit of a non-traditional uh, source doing a movie based on a mystery board game that really doesn't have a narrative to it as a board game. You know, I've, I've never understood is Transformers. I don't get it as a movie or as a toy. They're robots in disguise, Bruce. I know, but is there more to do? I, I always find it so strange. You could, okay, now I take it apart and he's a robot. Okay, now what do I do with it? Well, I put it back so that then he's a car again. Well, you know, and occasionally they're robots that turn into animals. That's a, a subgenre of Transformers. Ooh. <laughs> There's ones that turn into dinosaurs, which is a whole other thing. That is yeah. like checking off every box for a, a boy to play with the dinosaurs and Transformers all in one. I can't remember which came first, the TV show or the toys. I would imagine it was the TV show. Transformers, they were toys first. Back then, it was a lot of these things came out designed with synergy in mind, where the cartoon can sell the toys, the toys can sell the cartoon. Uh, Masters of the Universe is another great example of that. But look at how stupid these some of these ones are. Angry Birds, remember Angry Birds? It was a fun game because you're just kind of shooting at things, but they had no plot. There was nothing to do with it. So it just kind of um, sits there. I will give you one that maybe was okay. The first Pirates of the Caribbean, I was expecting a real dud. And, you know, because based on a theme park ride, really? And it turned out okay. I think they stretched it far too long. We'll see what happens this summer too with Jungle uh, Cruise, if that turns out to be something. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think that first Pirates of the Caribbean movie is great. I, yeah, it's, a good, it's a good adventure movie. I understand people's reservations on that. And I'm not saying that it deserves to win any kind of awards, but as, as entertainment in a theater, fantastic. I have zero problems with that. And you don't really see much swashbuckling these days. So, you know, what's interesting too, is the, um, the movie wasn't exactly like the ride. The ride was a jumping off point. But now they have actually made the ride like the movie. So if you go to the latest park, the Shanghai uh, Disneyland, it's exactly like the movie. And Johnny Depp is in the whole thing. You see all this kind of really cool stuff with those weird Jeffrey Rush characters and stuff. And um, you can see where there it influenced a theme park ride in reverse. And if you, if you really want to have a little fun, um, go to YouTube and you can ride the ride. You can go and actually see those kinds of things. So if you're seeing that, well, I'm never getting to Shanghai. When am I going to see this stupid thing? Go to YouTube and look up some of those rides and you'll be able to see them. And it is in 4D. It looks really cool. The amusement park that was near me growing up, as I was growing up, it was called Carowinds. And then at some point it got added to the stable of Paramount Parks. So Paramount had like Kings Dominion in Virginia, and then they bought Kings Island. Yep. 
uh, and then Paramount ended up buying Carowinds. And so then they repurposed a handful of those rides to be movie themed. And then they started introducing rides that were that were explicitly movie themed. Um, they had an they added an entire section of the park that was Wayne's World, which was incredible. You had the hurler, which was this huge wooden roller coaster. And then directly underneath that was a Stan Makita's. The um, the donut shop from the movie, and then you could actually go in and and order you know burgers and such at the Stamakitas in there. But next to Wayne's World, they had one of the weirdest like movie to to theme park ride transitions that I think I've ever seen, and. Jared, you might not even remember this movie. Uh, maybe you will, Bruce, but a Wesley Snipes picture from the late 80s, early 90s called Drop Zone, which I think was, it was, you know, parachuting and uh, some kind of a heist thing and stealing. And I, that's literally all that I remember. Never saw the film, but they had a was drop like zone. A drop? It was a ride where you would just kind of, you know, get in your hearts and you go straight up and then they drop you they drop you that was it that was trying to label something yeah i mean that that was it i had to look up drop zone now on wikipedia and uh in the in the notes uh drop zone was one of two uh skydiving action films released in december 1994 the, I other, was the other one Term- was the other was terminal velocity starring charlie sheen and james gandolfini no ride there <laughs> I mean, was that people that were just trying to draft on the success of Point Break? Yep. Anyway, uh, 1994 was the year of the parachute. So that's my amusement park reminiscence. The non traditional source material uh, that I'll jump to, I originally wanted to talk about Shortcuts, the Robert Altman movie, which is a, a shuffling of a bunch of short stories by, by the same author. It's a real feat. Of, of screenwriting that that movie works as well as it does. But I feel like that's too close to being traditional. So I'm going to go with the 2012 film that introduced the world to Colin Trevorrow. And that is Safety Not Guaranteed, which is based on a classified ad that read, wanted somebody to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. I have only done this once before. And then in all caps, safety, not guaranteed. And I think that was a real life urban legend. And then it got turned into this movie. It was a a joke classified ad in a magazine called Back Home. Back Home magazine, I think. Yeah. And starred Aubrey Plaza and Mark Duplass. They added in this kind of romance story to it and i don't think that it's necessarily a great film but it is really good in its way and it certainly is one of the earliest examples of an indie a director with with indie credentials getting scooped up for like from you know big league hollywood stuff and one movie yeah 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 
And, and he then uh, went on to be involved with uh, Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. And, uh, and he was the original writer and director of The Rise of Skywalker and then got taken off that because he apparently was not good. So Colin Trevorrow's Safety Not Guaranteed, a very interesting debut based on some weird crap that is or isn't real, question mark. One one kind of along those lines that I'm surprised there still hasn't been like a like a substantive like documentary like on uh, on Netflix or even like a movie or something like that that uh, was a couple years later but was similar to the safety not guaranteed ad thing was this whole phenomenon of this like um, guy who would like post on early like uh, bulletin boards online in like 2000 and 2001 where he's basically claiming to be like a, a military time traveler from like the 2030s called John Teeter. And there's like all these fun, like conspiracies and everything about him. Um, and it, it, it is a little bit of that same kind of vibe as the safety, not guaranteed uh, fake ad thing. And then eventually after the while, that guy just like stopped posting stuff um, and everything. But he said that like uh, his time traveling, uh, his means of time traveling was like a 66 Corvette and all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm, I'm amazed that's never gotten made into some kind of movie or documentary because that would be uh, a rich, uh, non-traditional text for something, too. So what have we got coming down the news wires? Bruce? We have the, the most um, high-tech equipment to make our, our news wire come in. Well, you know, they name new people to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The interesting thing I find, you know, their, their goal is to be more diverse. Um, but I found that there were some who were, the only thing they've done is Borat. And you used to have to have two, um, two film credits to be able to be considered. And I get when you've been nominated for an Oscar, that should trump all and you should be able to get an easy pass. But when Borat is your only credit, should you really get them the first pass right away? I, I find it's interesting, but if you get a chance, look at the list and behind their names, they tell why, what films they were involved with. And you can find the Borat people because it's like 90 words long and you'll see which ones are in there. But that's, that's a new thing this week. So, and Rita Wilson, Rita Wilson is now on the board of governors. So she will be calling those shots for that big old, let's remember Forrest Gump 25 years later. So that's what I know. That's my news for the week. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out as things go along. I mean, anything that, I mean, whether or not they have extensive credits, anything that adds, you know, color and, and, and diversity and further and youth to, to the Academy's uh, ranks is. A nebulous category that I'm not sure who belongs in it. It doesn't really, you know, others, <laughs> but there's another one where I don't know, you know, is it for publicists? Is it for stylists? I don't know. But it's an odd, odd mix. It's getting larger, um, maybe too large for their own benefit. And I noticed too that now that the Golden Globes are out of favor, a lot of other groups are, are jockeying for that position. Um, I'm in a group called the Critics' Choice. And they're certainly looking at, you know, expanding their, their field and um, including more people in it. And I think that's a way to try and pitch it 
we could be the new Golden Globes if you really want. Excellent. I, for, for my news stuff, I have been in complete Quentin Tarantino brain, brain mode. Um, I just started reading the, the book of his that came out, the novel from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which starts off very different from, than the movie already uh, and just kind of goes from there. Uh, I'm not super far into it, but so far it has been, it's been a really wonderful uh, ride with, you know, getting all this interior, you know, thoughts. You get to hear what Cliff Booth thinks of, you know, the, the early, you know, Swedish nudie films. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just really great. But because of that book coming out, Tarantino has, of course, been out flogging it and doing interviews and whatnot. And uh, like I said the other week, he's been, you know, digging himself in deeper with this whole, his 10th film is going to be his last film thing but we have a new loophole to it because with his 10 his whole 10 film thing he counts kill bill one and two as one movie and so he's teasing the fact that daryl hannah's character is quote unquote still out there and that maya hawk is possibly going to be in in one of these movies uh which is um, uma thurman and ethan hawk's kid who previously was in once upon a time as one of the manson family followers uh, and if he adds this, is it just an extension of this Kill Bill whole bloody affair thing? And so that's just a, a furthering of one movie, or is that going to be this whole other? And then the Star Trek movie is maybe not going to be in like counted towards that. It's just, it's, it's super frustrating to the point where I don't care anymore. It's like, just make a movie. If you want to make a movie, Quentin, I, I mean, I'll, I'll of course watch it. So uh, yeah, Tarantino teasing a whole bunch of Kill Bill three potential ideas is is mine. Despite well, the that, fact that we, I don't really care. It's just streaming. It's, this isn't. This is just streaming. I'm doing. This isn't a real film. He could play that card a long time. So, you know. Yeah. Thank you, Quentin. We're really thrilled for you. I don't. I mean, yeah. It's to the point now where it's just I don't care how many movies he makes. It's clear that he's going to continue to be involved in various capacities. So, yeah. And as, as long as he keeps footing the bill at the New Beverly Theater in, in Hollywood, that is, you know, I, I don't care what else he does. He can, you know, zoom in on as many actresses' feet as he wants. And that's, there you go. So, yeah. Then wrapping things up, bringing us in, Jared. Um, so I think my bit of news is best uh, summed up by this uh, headline uh, from earlier this week from The Verge um, that just says The Simpsons is getting a Loki short because Disney owns everything, um, which is very appropriate. Um, I, I love The Simpsons, or at least the first, you know, 12 years or so of The Simpsons. And so over time, you know, that love has definitely been tested by watching just more and more seasons that seem more and more uh, unnecessary and, and this in some ways kind of feels like the apotheosis of this and like the product of like you know the fox getting bought up uh, by Disney where in the past uh, a Simpsons parody of like you know a big cultural phenomenon like this would have had more bite to it but I can almost guarantee it's not going to be that much of a of a, a takedown of 
all the Marvel movies in any way that's, you know, meaningful or like has edge to it in the way like the Simpsons used to. And part of that is a product of time, but also like because they're a Disney product now, it's just not going to have the same kind of, you know, uh, bite to it. So that's that's my bit of news. A, uh, another somber little marking stone on the, the Simpsons not being what they once were. <laughs> the poster is good, though. Yeah, it's, yeah. The poster is cool. I'd like it. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree that the I mean, the Simpsons, I don't want to say like overstate its welcome, but it is it does doesn't have any real role in in pop culture anymore. So, I mean, there's that. But I think the question I was going to ask is, is this going to be kind of along the lines of how the family guy did their Star Wars parodies? It, it seems like it's going to be maybe be in that sort of vein. Basically, like the plot of it is like Loki ends up somehow in Springfield and is like foiled by uh, Springfield people. But they have like Ralph is like the Hulk and like Lisa is Thor. And it, yeah. Yeah. Get back to the good old days when Jasper Johns would show up and just steal things. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's what I want is more really <laughs> deep cut you know uh <laughs> postmodern like, art it, references or like in the past when they would have you know synergy from other stuff it, like it would be jay sherman from the critics showing up it, but they would be making a joke of that like how absurd it was that they were folding in like these other characters from other fox stuff sideshow like, luke perry yeah exactly yeah that's one of the best ones of that yeah yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't know. I you know I we talked earlier. Can I just throw one more in about uh, theme park rides? And there's a new series coming out on Disney Plus called Behind the Attraction, and they tell you how they went about making a lot of iconic theme park rides. And it's fascinating, especially how kind of by the seat of their pants they were. And they talk about all these, these big ones that we've mentioned in the process and um, how even now they're tinkering with everything and, and what the next phase could be. And clearly movies do, do drive the boat. Um, a lot of these attractions are based on films because people want to be in the environment. They want to feel like they're in the movies. And that was Walt's goal of me uh, initially is he wanted you to feel like you were right in the middle of, a, of an immersive adventure with with a um, a film. And so like Rise of the Resistance, the new Star Wars land, um, that is a, a true example of where you could ride the movies. And I think that would be the ultimate for people is to feel like they're a part of a movie experience. So that's coming up in July on Disney Plus and it's called Behind the Attraction. The, the documentaries that Disney Plus has done have been really good. There was a, a whole series they did um about imagineering the the parks and the history of that and they've got a, a whole series on i think it's called prop culture i want to say where it's people tracking down the actual physical props uh in places and yeah i mean there's some of those some of the disney things are kind of silly where it's like oh here's three hours of of just like a static shot of the sun rising over animal kingdom and i'm like i don't need that i don't need that that's ridiculous so um, but yeah, I definitely want to see more of the behind the scenes content that they can give us, uh, 
from, well, from and that. What's interesting is this is very snarky and uh, they're not afraid to mention, you know, why certain things were done. Like we could get the money for it. And that's usually, that wasn't the Disney way. The Disney way was always, you know, very proper. And this, this show kind of, um, it debunks a lot of myths. I'm excited for that. So that is the episode. We've got our, our catchphrase. Jared always does a great job leading us out by the hand. Look, um, even even the most uh, gung-ho uh, 4th of July uh, aficion aficionados among us, um, which I would consider myself one, at least when it comes to shooting off uh, fireworks, you're going to need some downtime to recover, either because you've burned your finger from um, using the lighter so many times, or you've just like run out of fireworks to shoot and you don't want to spend any more money on something that blows up in five seconds. Um, you can go to your local Cineplex, uh, or you can uh, sit at home and fire up one of like 50 million streaming services and you can uh, see something good. See something good. So that is the episode. Next week, we'll tell you what we think of loads of new releases, including Black Widow on Disney+. So make sure that you are subscribed. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well, if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope that you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourself out there. As always, thanks so much for listening, and hey, happy 4th of July. <laughs>